most likely cream of wheat, often stated as grits, after he'd rebuffed her marriage proposal. Shortly thereafter, she was found shot dead, lying next to one of Al's guns. After an investigation that involved the FBI, Mary's death was ruled a suicide. It appeared to see that this grim subject was one that Green, sitting in the very home Woodson had died in, actually wanted to talk about. That was the most cogent he was in terms of a linear narrative, said Davin. Maybe he was interested in setting the record straight. He never reflected on the personal consequences of it. Getting much else out of Green proved next to impossible. He definitely didn't want to do the work, said C. There were some very tense encounters. Al had a nasty streak. He could turn on you on a dime in terms of just putting you in your place. It happened a lot. I was trying to push him, get information. At one point, he told me, just look at my clippings. I said, Al, this is your story. He wasn't interested. Nor was anyone else around Green willing to help. When C tried to talk to Green's mother, Cora, she clammed up. Davin felt she was terrified of Al. Instead of getting anecdotal stuff about his childhood, she just kept saying he was a great kid. He loved me, I loved him. It was really hard to get anything of substance from anybody. Even though Green was in full-on reverend mode, C still managed to get a fleeting glimpse of the incredible sexuality that has served Al so well. For some unknown reason, Green wanted to conduct one of their interviews at a funky motel on the outskirts of Memphis. I don't know what he was doing there. We went back to my room to talk. There was a knock at the door, and it was the housemaid. She said, You got Al Green in there. It was like she sniffed him out. In response, Green poured on the charm. In terms of his approach to women, he was like silk. To see, the one place Al seemed at ease was at his church. When it came to full gospel tabernacle church, Green was very dedicated. Not just to the preaching, but the pastoral role. He would deal with problems of the parishioners and listen to them. He could be very sweet. Somehow, C managed to squeeze a book out of his limited contact. Take Me to the River went on to become the go-to source on the subject of Green. You'll find it quoted in many an article, book, and album liner note. At best, Take Me to the River is a sketchy, dubious portrayal of Green's life. He mentions none of his wives, nor most of the studio musicians he's worked with, or his bands, and has little to say about his life post-1976. The book contains many factual errors. I don't hold C accountable for this. He did his best under trying circumstances. When Al was asked about his autobiography by one reporter, he burst out laughing, confessing he hadn't read my own book. Clearly, it was of little concern to him. I'm the real person who lived the real life. The subject of Take Me to the River, the man who supposedly co-authored it, never bothered to look between the covers. This is probably not the Al Green you're expecting. 
You want the love and happiness man, that happy guy tossing roses to the ladies. Has any pop star ever seemed more charming? Look at any online interview. Witness that blinding smile, the seductive laugh. Al always seems to be laughing. The image presented is one of an easygoing, lovable guy. Let's stay together. I'm still in love with you. Tired of being alone. Let's get married. L-O-V-E love. Call me. Love and happiness. We all know the songs. Forty years plus after they were recorded, it's still hard to walk through a supermarket, airport, or mall without hearing an Al Green song. They turn up in movies, TV shows, ads, and songwriters, are sampled in hip-hop hits, burrowing into our collective consciousness. Green's